Please join me now in 1 Peter chapter 4. And as you're finding your place there in 1 Peter 4, let me ask you this. What can you control in your life? What can you absolutely control in your life? Well, we're living in the grandest, saddest illustration that we can't control much. In the midst of this uninvited, unplanned pandemic, we see that we can't control a great deal in our lives. An invisible virus from a remote part of China has impacted every human life on the earth. All of our agendas scrambled and even scrapped in many cases because of a pandemic. Think about somebody who came into 2020 with a five-year plan. They've been working on it. Don't you remember a decade ago, people were doing their 2020 vision for their ministry or for their business, but nobody could have anticipated this. And none of us were in control of this. But it's not just pandemics that really can shape our lives in ways that we don't want. But how about the economy? How many of you can control the economy? I mean, we can make wise decisions in our own house, but I can't control inflation. I can't control so much around me. How about the level of crime where you live? I can lock my doors. I might have a security system, but I can't control the rates of crime. How about your health? This is one where we feel like I have a lot of control here. You have some. You can get some sleep. You can eat right. You can exercise. Those are wise things to do. But even doing that, you can't control the outcomes of your health. We are humbled by this. So here's a question. How do you navigate this uncertainty in your life? A related question. How do you navigate the certainty that you are going to have troubles in this life? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you're not yet, I hope you are by the time you leave here today. But if you're a believer in Christ, the answer to that, how do I deal with this uncertainty? How do I deal with this certainty of trouble? I do it through faith in God and trusting in him. As Peter's going to remind us here, by entrusting ourselves to him over and over and over again. Let's go into our text. First Peter 4, picking up in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here's Peter. He picks up this extensive teaching on suffering once again. And I want you to notice with me, he begins this section with tenderness. He, he calls them beloved, the Greek word agapatoi. And you and I need to hear that tenderness. When, when you're suffering, when you're hurting, you need empathy. You need tenderness. And here is our God giving it to us. 
here as we talk together today about suffering again, even suffering as Christians, we don't want to come across as cold. And this is just an academic topic. No, when we talk about suffering, even suffering as Christians, we're in the realm of fears now. We're in the realm of tears. We're in the realm of anguish. When we talk about suffering, we're in the realm of deep questions. And so we're, we're not talking about this in a cold, callous, academic way. You might be here today hearing this talk about suffering from a place of deep pain and loss. Here's one thing we know in the church. We have a wonderful prayer list and the prayer warriors on Wednesday night will pray through the requests that have come in. I mean, we're praying for nations, we're praying for missionaries, but we're praying for people who are struggling here. But we know that typically the deepest needs never make it on the church prayer list. On the church prayer list, serious matters like cancer or somebody's surgery coming up. But the stuff that, the, the things that are the most painful, we understand. Some of that stuff you just can't share as publicly as all that. So I know that I don't know everything that you're facing. But I do know that there's pain out here. I may not know the specifics of it. A lot of it. And I know that some of you may have great concern for the future, but understand as we move into this topic that your God loves you. In fact, we're told here in 1 Peter, back in chapter 2, verse 21, this reminder that Jesus suffered. You don't have a God who doesn't understand suffering. Jesus left heaven, came to earth to suffer. And just think about his life for a moment. He suffered immensely for us. And so the Spirit of God inspired Peter to address his first readers and to us as beloved. So God loves you in your sufferings. God loves you in your sorrows. And I repeat that because we're tempted not to believe that when we hurt. We have come to believe that if God is blessing me, then I won't have any suffering. If he's happy with me, he'll take away my problems. But when you're really hurting, the temptation comes, I don't think he likes me. I don't think he likes me as much as he likes some other people. But that's not correct. You are beloved. You can be right in the center of God's will for your life and you are suffering. And yet God remains good. His love remains constant. He's very pleased with you and you should go on trusting him. So let's talk about suffering again. Peter brings it up. And so when it comes to suffering, point one is this, do not be surprised. When it comes to suffering, do not be surprised. Verse 12, this is the scripture. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This word surprised here is really the same word that we see later in verse 12, where it talks about something strange. This word can mean stranger or strange. It's the word xenos in the original language. We get our word xenophobia from it, this fear of strangers, fear of foreigners. So listen, don't, don't think that suffering is a stranger to you as a Christian. You will go through it. So suffering is no stranger to us as believers. We're not to be shocked when suffering comes to us. Disappointed, yes. Hurt, yes. Praying for deliverance, certainly. But not shocked. We're not shocked that there are problems on this sin-cursed earth. And we're not shocked that there's persecution on this earth. Jesus told us very clearly in multiple places, but how about John 15? Remember, Jesus said, the world hates me and they're going to hate you because of me. We've been told this from the beginning. Paul said this, 
2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So don't think for a moment you, you were the victim of a bait and switch. Like nobody told me I'd suffer as a Christian. Maybe nobody told you, but it's been in your Bible all along. The only way we're shocked by this information is if we've been neglecting the scriptures or we've been hearing prosperity preachers only selecting parts of the scriptures. But if you're in the word of God in your own reading, you're just bumping into it constantly. In my own personal reading, I've been in recent weeks in Ezekiel, in Daniel, Hosea, now this morning started in Joel, and everything I've been reading is in the context of difficulty. A faithless nation experiencing the discipline of God, exile and all that. And then you have faithful men and women following Christ in the midst of all that. And there's difficulty. Those, those are rough times to be on the earth. And so the whole context of the Bible is difficulty. You read the New Testament, there's persecution, all this going on. It's the context of our faith. And so really it's perplexing how perplexed we are when we suffer and we think, well, this is strange. Why, would, why, why is this weird thing happening to me? But we, we, we struggle there. So just remind ourselves, you can struggle, you can suffer right in the center of God's will. Goodness, reading in Hosea's life, he has struggles at home, right in the center of God's will. In fact, it's challenging to try to think of anybody in the scriptures that had an easy, carefree life. You can rack your brain like, who, who had it perfectly? And, and not even Jesus had it perfectly as he suffered for us here. Let's remind ourselves also that when God brings suffering into our lives in his will, or when he allows it and permits it in our lives by his will, he has purposes for this and we need to trust him with those. In fact, he talks about here in our text that we have these fiery trials, Peter says, to test us. This testing has the idea of proving us. James spoke, spoke this way, the testing of your faith produces endurance. So suffering can work like a refiner's fire in your life, how a refining fire can, can prove or improve the quality of a precious metal. God uses our troubles, even persecution that we don't want for our ultimate good. I once spoke to a Christian who had gone to a counselor for struggles. By the way, when you go to a counselor, you're, you're acknowledging, I, I need help with this. And so this person went to a counselor and the counselor was a professing Christian and when the counselor asked a good question to this counselee, the counselor said, hey, where do you think God is in your struggle right now? And the person receiving counsel said, well, I don't know everything about this, but I, but I think God may be refining my faith through this. I think that's a brilliant biblical answer. The counselor didn't think so. Like, what? God wouldn't do that? And I think in the counselor's mind that God's only part in our suffering is to get us out of our suffering. That he had no part in it coming into your life but his only role is to get you out of it. But, but I, I affirm the person being counseled, strong faith. The, the idea of this, I don't like this suffering. I don't, I don't want these tears. I don't wanna need to go to a counselor, but I'm gonna hang on to God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in him while I'm hoping to get better and working to get better. I'm trusting that God is doing something since he allowed this in my life. What a great perspective. Our omnipotent, omniscient, loving God uses our adversity. None of it is wasted. Here again, the scripture, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So we're just talking about suffering today. And the first thing we wanna see is this, do not be surprised. But secondly, imagine this, we're told by God, rejoice. 
in your suffering, rejoice. It's very clear. Look at verse 13. This does not come naturally to us. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's clear here that the context that Peter has in mind is persecution. Really not just any trial, but it does apply to any trial. But persecution is in view here. He mentions it here specifically. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you haven't yet been insulted for Christ's name, you will. It's increasing. Peter has been talking to us about how people might malign you because of Jesus. Peter here describes these as fiery trials. It's not good. Fiery trials. But even in unwanted persecution, we are commanded to rejoice. Now we have to ask the question, why rejoice? How possibly would I rejoice in this? And he gives us three reasons here. You should re rejoice because you share in Christ's sufferings. That word share here is a form of the word fellowship. You're going to fellowship in Christ's sufferings. I love this. Peter's preaching this, but after first practicing this, we always know there needs to be a harmony there between what we practice and what we preach. And so we always say, practice what you preach. Well, Peter's doing that, but, but he also is preaching what he formerly practiced. Back in Acts chapter 5, Peter suffered for Jesus and he rejoiced. This is Acts 5, 40 and 41. And when they called in the apostles, that's including Peter. And when they called in the apostles, listen to this, they beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And here it is. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's exactly what he's saying right here for us. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. So how should I rejoice? Because I'm sharing in his sufferings, but also because he is with me. You can rejoice because he's with you. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You can rejoice because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You're not alone. This is stunning when you reread the book of Philippians and remember again the context of Philippians. Paul writing, while in Roman chains, a lot about rejoicing. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always. Pause. He's writing that from Roman imprisonment. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Christian, Christ is with you. He's working out his purposes in you and through you. It's another reason to rejoice. And here's a third one. He will reward you in his coming. Jesus will reward you in his coming. That's what he mentions here also in verse 13. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So right now, presently, we're sharing in the first coming sufferings of Christ. But soon enough, we'll be sharing in the second coming glories of Christ. 
He's with you now in your struggles, but soon you'll be with him in his paradise. And so in that reality, you and I can rejoice. Peter has spoken this way before, 1 Peter 3, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Or how about how Jesus spoke? In Matthew 5, 10 and following, Jesus said this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Listen, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we can rejoice in our persecution when we're insulted on the one extreme or imprisoned or worse on the other extreme because we have this eternal perspective. Our circumstances and our sufferings are not telling the whole story. Our persecutors will not get the last word. In fact, those persecutors, as we've seen here, even in first Peter, they are destined for judgment from God, but we're destined for eternal delight in the presence of our savior. So in our sufferings, do not be surprised, but instead rejoice. And then this, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. But isn't that the goal of persecution? When you suffer for the name of Jesus, the goal of the persecutor is to cause you pain and hopefully bring you shame for persisting in your faith in Jesus. Well, they can bring pain, but they cannot bring shame into our lives. There is no shame when you suffer for Jesus. But notice here, Peter says, but there is shame if you suffer because of your sin. It's another reminder, we cannot dwell in our former sins anymore. Be sure that you are suffering for the right reasons in these days. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. So we should be ashamed if we're suffering because of ongoing sin in our lives. Peter talked about this earlier also in 1 Peter three seventeen. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Years ago, when Joy and I lived in another state, she worked in an inner city school and she loved her children, but it was a tough context there. And uh, back in those days, we had one car and I would drop Joy off at her inner city school. I would go to seminary and at the end of the day, I'd go back and pick her up. And so I got to know some of the other teachers and some of the other staff and met the principal, got to know him, but also got to know the two custodians at the school. And I liked them. And I remember learning that, uh, I think learned both of them were Christians, but, but I found it interesting on one particular occasion, I talked to the second custodian. So these, these two men had reputations, very different reputations. One of the custodians was known for being very reliable, who'd do anything for you. In fact, the teachers told Joy, if you need something done, talk to this one. But if you need something done, don't talk to this one because he's lazy. He's lazy. He, he won't help you. So I found it odd that this lazy custodian was talking to me one day and he let me know he was a Christian, heard I was in seminary. He wanted to talk theology with me. I thought, okay, I'll talk theology with you. But I found it very disappointing that everybody in the school knows this guy who wants to talk theology with me. They know he's lazy. I thought about him through the years. I wonder if he got fired for being so notoriously lazy. I hope if he got fired that he never said, you know, they persecuted me because I'm a Christian. They did not fire you because you're a Christian, because you're a lazy, lazy worker. 
There's shame in that. But no shame if you were indeed suffering because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Here we remember this, that in God's, as God's people on the earth, as his elect exiles, we can't stay in our sin anymore. He keeps repeating that. Remember back even in chapter one, we saw we are to be holy as our God is holy. Sin is in the rearview mirror. We're to walk a brand new walk now, not suffering for sin, but yes, suffering for Christ when it's God's will. Look at verse 17. This is how serious this is. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's saying, you should expect discipline from our good God if you persist in disobedience to God in these days. That as merciful as God is, he never gives us a pass. Oh yeah, you could just go ahead and sin. No, there's, there's discipline for that. This judgment in the sense of discipline begins with God's people. So let me ask you, are you suffering in your life right now because of consequences of your own disobedience to the Lord? Are you experiencing what you believe to be God's discipline in your life? I would say to you, still good news, God still loves you if you're his child, but you must run to him and ask him for forgiveness. And here's the good news. He is infinitely gracious and forgiving. Even in that area of your life, you think, I have sinned in this area so many times. How could he possibly forgive me? He can, but you must come humbly to him and be real with him and ask him anew for forgiveness. He can indeed refine you. He can indeed, he can indeed use you again, but come to him humbly. So in our suffering, don't be surprised. In your suffering, rejoice. In your suffering, do not be ashamed of Jesus. And then this, in your suffering, remain faithful. Remain faithful, verse 19 is how he caps this off. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When you experience hostility in this life at the hands of ungodly men and women, keep following Jesus. Peter says, keep doing good. Stay in his will. Even if God's will is for you to suffer right now, keep following him. Don't think that the path of blessing is to stop following Jesus and follow the world that's been persecuting you. But we might do that poor calculation. All right, they're making it difficult on me. I think to make it easier on myself to try to control my comfort, I'm gonna give up on faithfulness to Christ that I might have them take it easy on me. I'll just begin to follow the ways of the world. That would be so tragic. There is no blessing in departing from Jesus and to follow the persecutors. You'll be grieving the Holy Spirit and you'll be inviting the discipline of your loving father if you disobey him like that. And you're actually gonna put yourself in league with those who are destined for eternal loss. So we are not gonna give persecutors what they want. They want to scare you. They want you to cave. They threaten you. We will cancel you. We will fine you. We'll make life hard on you, but we won't give in to that. Have we not heard in the scriptures repeatedly, we are to be strong and we are to be courageous. We're not going to join those who are destined for the fires of judgment. So we might experience fiery trials temporarily on this earth, we're promised that, but we're not going to experience the fires of hell that those who persecute us are destined for. Why would we follow them? Sober warnings throughout the scripture about turning away. The context of the book of Hebrews is that 
were people who were exposed to the gospel, some saved, some just in the Christian community. They were warned, listen, don't turn away from Christ. God is very understanding about how hard it is to suffer for him, but he never says, look, I understand, don't be faithful, just go ahead and deny me. Never says that. Some of the strongest words in all the scripture you'll find in Hebrews, warning against being in the Christian community and turning away from him, what's left for you, what salvation's left for you, Again, only those who have not met Jesus truly would would make that move, but the warning is there. But how about the warning of Jesus in Mark 8, 34 through 38? We we need to hear this. What what does Jesus want from me? Would he really really have it his will for me to, to endure in faith and suffer for him? Listen to Jesus, Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Be willing to lose your life for Jesus. In fact, if you know Jesus, you already have. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So keep on trusting the Lord. You can pray this way. God, I trust you with everything I have, with everyone in my life. I trust you and I'm entrusting myself to you. Rather than mistakenly thinking I can control my circumstances and make life better for myself, I'm entrusting myself to you with my eternal soul, with my daily life and circumstances, with sufferings and uncertainties, even with those things that we would call fiery trials, I'm trusting in you. So let's come back to those questions that we started with this morning. How do you navigate all these uncertainties in your life? How do you navigate the certainty that you will struggle and have difficulties, even suffering. And as a, how, how do you navigate that? By knowing Jesus and trusting Jesus. By knowing Jesus and keep on entrusting yourself to Jesus. It is far better to know Jesus and suffer for him some in this life than to be without Jesus and suffer for all eternity without him. So think about it, Christian. You suffer. We will suffer. We were not promised we would not. We suffer here, but our suffering comes to an end. It's very finite. And then there's no more suffering for all of eternity. We'll never suffer again, never cry again. Remember he says he wipes away every tear from their eyes. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. So yes, we suffer, but the the rejoicing is it's only for a season. It will be over and you'll never hurt again. These will be distant memories forever and ever and ever. But those who don't know Christ... Even if they can put together a pretty carefree life, their suffering is just beginning. And it will be unending in the torments of hell because they rejected the rescue from the merciful God, Jesus. Make sure that's not you. Make sure you're not rejecting the Savior. Turn to the love of God. Run to him, humbly repenting, asking Jesus to be your Savior. And Christian, trust him. Keep entrusting your soul to him. Let's pray.